Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, a special Sunday session to remind us just how dysfunctional the GOP Congress truly is. I appreciate them working overtime to remind us of that. Yeah, you know, the circular firing squad doesn't work as well during the week, I guess. So they have to come in <laughs> Sunday and insult each other, show that leadership on the one hand doesn't much care what uh, grassroots conservatives think or, or what anyone thinks, I guess, out there. They're just cutting their, cutting their deals and ramming their legislation through. And, and of course, some of the conservative insurgents decide they can't just make their case. They have to make it a personal attack on individual leaders just to compound the sense of chaos. So... Yeah, I don't think we can count on the Republican Congress to really um, save the day for the Republican Party over the next year and a half. You know, the media seem obsessed with Donald Trump and his presence in the Republican race, but is anyone in Congress even aware of that? I mean, have they heard what what the guy's doing? Have they seen how much mileage he's getting going straight after them, specifically on stuff like they pulled this weekend, where for some reason Democratic bills and Democratic amendments were all accommodated, but conservative bills and amendments were completely ignored? Yeah, and those Democratic amendments were accommodated because Mitch McConnell really wanted to get this highway bill passed, which is itself a dubious piece of legislation, because he thought then the House would pass it this week and they could go on recess saying they've accomplished something, the Republican Congress is governing. I believe, unless something changes in the next 24, 48 hours, the House will not accept this long-term extension of the highway bill. They passed the five-month extension, which gets them basically through this year, and that's what they want the Senate to have. To accept. So it may well have all been, all the angst, all the anger, all the annoyance will really end up having been for nothing, um, which does say it all about the Republican congressional leadership. Uh, I'm afraid there's something in common, I think, with the, the presidential races now. They're all bit players to Trump. The congressional leadership is, um, you know, either not producing legislation or producing legislation that no one much wants and that isn't particularly Republican or conservative. Uh, it's really a wonderful situation there. It's, it's a miracle that, luckily, you know, maybe it won't matter a year from now, the Republicans will nominate a good candidate. They'll run against the Obama-Clinton record, which is pretty bad. Hillary Clinton seems to be suffering. Maybe all of this is the sort of short-term uh, you know, chaos that, that, that people forget pretty quickly. That's, that, let, let's hope so. But as a Trump supporter asked me today, Bill, if the Republicans can't step up on easy stuff like this horrible Planned Parenthood moment where they've been caught selling, you know, human body parts for money, and they can't step on Planned Parenthood at that moment. If they can't step up on immigration when you've got, you know, the death out in California and the renewed focus on just how dysfunctional the border is, they can't step up, you know, on this, on these kind of big, and can't even kill the XM bank. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's something you know, from a political standpoint should be a freebie. Then what can they do from the standpoint of a conservative? Well, I think it's going to hurt, you know, anyone running who's associated with the Republican Congress. Now, you could say Cruz is rebelling against the Republican Congress. He's an internal uh, rebel against McConnell. But I kind of wonder whether people just don't look at all sides of that fight in Washington and think kind of a plague on all your houses. So I do think this maybe hurts Rubio and Cruz among the presidential candidates. Um, helps Trump, as we just said, as you just said. I think it also does lay the groundwork for a governor like Scott Walker, to say, hey, I governed in Wisconsin. I didn't have this kind of insanity with my congressional leadership. We were able to get done the key things that we had to get done. And I kind of, I'll go to Washington and change change things in Washington. The big question for me is Jeb Bush. I mean, on the one hand, he's an outsider. He's not part of this congressional leadership. He could say, I can also change things in Washington. But I don't know. My sense is that the unhappiness with the establishment in Congress 
could spill over to unhappiness with the establishment, the broader Republican establishment, that's supporting Jeb Bush. So if, if I'm right about that, it seems to me all these developments indirect, they're short-term good for Trump. But if I'm right that ultimately Trump is fading, not even ultimately, I think rather soon maybe, and in any case won't be the nominee, big opportunity, I think, for Scott Walker as the kind of conservative outsider. Uh, the, does it also lend to this uh, disquiet about the Republican brand overall? And, and you know, this is a, I know this is kind of the, one of the divides. Some people think the Republican brand means nothing, that that's not how it works. It's people. Other people think, no, it's harder to get people to vote Republican. But you see that as Trump has, has surged, you've seen a decline in the uh, view in the polls of the GOP brand. And now you look at deeper and you see that the biggest drop is not among you know, independents or Democrats who think less of Republicans. The biggest drop is among Republicans who think less of the Republican Party. In a way, that's good news. Some of the political consultant types will tell you, will tell us, because, you know, they're ultimately most of those people going to vote Republican anyway. So they're just unhappy with the current leaders in Congress. And I think there's some truth to that. But I, I think it increases the premium. All of this increases the premium for a new look, fresh candidate, fresh ideas, and big ideas. And I guess my biggest worry right now is less the shenanigans in Congress. I think it's going to get worse in Senate before it gets better. They have a September showdown coming on the budget, on what to do about next year, continuing resolution. I mean, it could be an unbelievable mess in September. They might get a short-term solution then, 60 days, and kick it to November. But later this year, we could have a total sort of intra-Republican meltdown on the Hill with, of course, mm-hmm. President Obama probably exploiting it some. So I'm not expecting much from Washington. The question for me is, will one of the presidential candidates step up in a big way and and not just be an outsider? I think Scott Walker's got that line down pretty well. But be a big thinking outsider, a bold outsider, who gives a sense of really coming in and, and, and changing things in a pretty big way. I think that's what the mood is, a responsible version of Donald Trump. I think Walker's the one that just seems to be looking at the field who had the easiest could lay claim to that maybe most easily. Maybe one of the other candidates could come up and uh, and do it as well. Or maybe none of them will, and we'll have a chaotic nominating process in which Trump is kind of the ultimately irresponsible outsider, and all the others look too inside, too cautious, too conventional. That would be very that would be very unfortunate. Okay, now flipping to the other side of the aisle and looking at, at this, uh, you know, where we are uh, now. Hillary Clinton's had a bad week capped by a bad weekend and it got so bad bill that i heard serious pundits who did not appear to be inebriated saying the names john Kerry and joe biden and i don't know what problem you're trying to solve but if the solution is joe biden it's the wrong one well maybe except you know once you've been elected vice president two times maybe it's different from when you ran when he ran on his own sort of uh you know, uh, by himself, you might say, in 2007, 2008, or before that, when he didn't make it. Uh, Kerry, of course, came within a few hundred thousand votes of being elected president in 2004. A couple hundred thousand votes in Ohio, I guess. So maybe we're too quick to dismiss them. I do think, <laughs> I think Hillary's problems are serious. I know you can't, you, you're just, you just can't even believe it. But let's just suspend the disbelief here for a minute and, um, and, and think maybe one of, one of them or the other could be a serious candidate. I do think. Hillary's problems are serious enough that someone big will get in. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. If Bernie Sanders is the Gene McCarthy challenging the LBJ-type frontrunner, uh, who's the Bobby Kennedy, who's right. a serious alternative to Hillary? I, I think it's probably got to be Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or John Kerry. 
and I got to think at least one of them will get in. I think the odds are better than 50-50 that a big name gets into this field. And, you know, maybe that big name doesn't make it against Hillary. Maybe Joe Biden turns out to be as bad a candidate in 2015 as he was in 2007. Right. Or maybe not. Maybe he's been a loyal vice president. A lot of Obama supporters who've never warmed up to Hillary decide he could carry the legacy better. He does have more of a kind of common man sort of touch. Um, he's a decent guy, personally. People don't dislike him. Don't find him robotic and all that. Quite, quite the contrary. So I don't, I don't quite uh, discount Biden as much as some people. And I, I now think the odds may be better than fifty-fifty that he gets in within a month, and that would certainly shake things up. I've been saying this for a little while. We've discussed this a couple of times. We, we all are focused on the Republican race. Obviously, it's a very interesting, wide-open race, and most of us probably care more about who the Republican candidate is is going to, going to be because we're that's kind of the party we're inclined to support. But we can have a very interesting Democratic race within three or four months. I don't think it's obvious that we don't get two competitive races this cycle, not just one. Joe Biden, it's kind of the, the Hillary problem in, in a different way. You don't see how Hillary solves a problem of she's not particularly likable and she's not trustworthy and this, you know, the the lingering scandals that continue to grow and accrete—they're not fading away. There's there's more. You know, the, the stones keep turning. Same thing with Joe Biden: his lack of stature. How do you statureize yourself after you've already been vice president for two terms and you've been in the U.S. Senate since I think soon after Lincoln was assassinated? I'm not, I'll have to check my dates on that bill. But how does he become big if that won't do it for him? Well, no, that's that's a fair question, and it's interesting to even think about. What if Biden gets in and doesn't take off, but Hillary drifts down further? And, you know, you have a poll a month from now, two months from now, where Hillary's at 38, and Biden's at 22, Sanders is at 18. Does Elizabeth Warren then think, hey, you know what? I'm the responsible and respectable version of Sanders. I'm a fresh face. I'm a woman. I don't have Biden's problems, uh, as you say, of stature or being a goofball or whatever people think of Biden. I don't. It's not out of the question that two of them get in. And of course, I've been toying with the John Kerry race for a while. He gets the, his Nobel Prize nomination uh, in October and quits in November, just in time to file for the New Hampshire primary. So, I, I really am. Uh, I'm sort of looking forward to the Democratic race. I've got to say, for the next several months. But, but I think the bottom line. We, this is what we began with. Hillary Clinton is extraordinarily weak. Maybe some of these polls are a little bit uh, outliers. Obviously, things can change. You know, she shouldn't be underestimated and all that. But if you just, you and I have been in political campaigns, it's just someone came down and gave you the numbers on Hillary Clinton right. from the last, you know, the last two, three, four public polls. You would look at that and say, "Whoa, this is a very weak and very vulnerable frontrunner." Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, but, you know, you can't beat somebody with nobody. And that's where we keep going back. But that's l- l- this is my nightmare scenario is that you and I are having the Weekly Standard podcast discussing the impact of the third party candidacy of the Clinton Trump ticket. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. The third party candidacy. <laughs> the Clinton. Trump, Trump. Hillary gets bumped from the Democrats because her numbers are so bad. Trump goes where he goes. They team up. And they run as a third-party Clinton-Trump ticket. Of course, I can't imagine Trump ever being vice. So it might have to be Trump. I don't know. But the, no, they, no, Trump. It's Trump-Clinton. I think you're right. Clinton would, then be Bill, would then be Bill Clinton. And those two guys <laughs> would get along great. They're kind of similar types, don't you think? Don and Bill out there cavorting around. It would be fantastic. <laughs> This is why good we love radio. talking good to you. Good for radio, good for the magazine, you know. Not so good for the country. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time on the podcast. We appreciate it. 
Hey, my pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.